0: Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 310 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It feels like just moments ago, we were in your inbox telling you about Henry Coleman leaving Duke. And in that that podcast, we teased the fact that we'd be talking extensively about the new guy coming to Duke, not not necessarily as a replacement for Henry Coleman, probably as a replacement for DJ Stewart. But (laughs) he is the newest Blue Devil. Uh, We're talking about Jalen Blakes from Blair Academy in New Jersey. And before we get to that, we need to tell you who the heck we are. Could you possibly be listening at this point and not know who we are? I guess it's possible. I am Jason Evans. I'm your host this week on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am joined, as I am, every single one of these things by Donald Wine and Samuel Klein. Donald, how you doing, my friend?
1: I'm very tired. I woke up this morning to do some soccer stuff uh, at 3.45 a.m. because the Olympic draw was going on. And in true fashion, most people say, hey, get up, watch your stuff and then go back to sleep. I did not go back to sleep. I couldn't fall back asleep. So I'm just a walking zombie right now, but I'm excited to go through this interview that we just moments ago recorded, which is fantastic.
0: And Sam Klein, Sam, uh, are, are you rested right now?
2: I am. I am decently well rested and also very excited to talk Jalen Blakes and share this interview with the listeners because I think it was a lot of fun.
0: So you guys talked about it. Let's get right to it. We on this show we try to bring you all kinds of different ways of uh, of knowing the Duke players, both the ones who are there, the ones who've left, and the ones who are coming. We've done interviews with Duke recruits several times in the past. We interviewed Paulo just a few days ago. And now we're going to be giving you a special insight into Jalen Blake's. And the way we're going to do that is we spoke to his high school basketball coach, a legendary high school basketball coach. This is a fabulous interview with a lot of insight about Jalen and about the entire state of amateur college basketball at the high school and college level. I hope you'll enjoy it. Here's our interview that we did with coach Joe Montegna of Blair Academy. (music) There is no one who has seen Jalen Blakes play basketball as much as our next guest. Coach Joe Montegna has been the head basketball coach at Blair Academy in New Jersey since 1999. He's turned that program into a national basketball power at the high school level. He's won four state titles and coached dozens of players who went on to Division I college success and several players who went on to the NBA, including Luol Deng and Charlie Villanueva. And in addition to Deng, He's also coached Duke players, Patrick and Jordan Davidson and Keenan Worthington. And he just got done coaching Jalen Blakes, who is the newest recruit to the Blue Devil basketball team. Coach Joe, thank you so much for joining us here on the Duke Basketball Report podcast.
3: Guys, it's my pleasure. Very happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: So uh, the first question, the question that's on all of our minds is, hey, here's this guy that we hadn't heard very much about until just a few weeks ago. Um. Give me, you know, a a breakdown. What are the strengths and weaknesses of Jalen Blake's game as he, uh, you know, playing for you and now coming on and being a a new recruit for Duke?
3: Yeah, I mean, Jalen's a four-year guy at Blair. A lot of our guys come here as juniors or sophomores and in a few cases, post-grads. But Jalen's been with me since he was 14 years old and uh, he's a combo guard. He's a guy that can score at all three levels. He's an elite switchable defender with a six, seven wingspan. And he's one of the toughest hombres you're ever going to run into in terms of his competitiveness. And on top of that, he's an Ivy League caliber student, an activist on our campus, and just one of the most impressive young people you ever want to meet.
0: Be specific for if you can, you know, like offensively, you know, can you break it down even a little bit more than that? If you're designing a play, what what do you have, what do you have, Jalen doing?
3: Well, I mean, that, that's the beauty of this kid, right? He's a, he's a volume-efficient three-point shooter, and he can really drill it from three. Um, and he's a kid who has a little bit of wiggle to his game. He's got a mid-range game, and he's strong enough to finish and make decisions off the pass in traffic. So playing at the level we play in prep school basketball, he's played with 6'9 and 6'10 bigs against him his whole career. So, you know, going to the ACC will not be as much of a shock for him in terms of the length and the athleticism that he'll see. So he's a, he's a three level scorer, shoots the heck out of it, can finish with strength and can make good decisions.
0: Uh, So you talk about his shooting. Uh, Did you all keep stats? What, what, you know, what percentage is he going to hit from three?
3: Yeah, he's a 35% three point shooter as a junior. Um, We only played two games this year. One of the reasons maybe you guys haven't heard of him. you know, he's a USA basketball kid. He's a top 100 ranked kid. We did. The problem was we, um, are at a boarding school and uh, in the Northeast, and we played two basketball games this winter. So while we trained all winter and and we played inter-squad scrimmages and whatnot, um, you know, Jalen had done it on the national stage for a few years previous to this, but I think he fell a little bit off the radar this year because we weren't able to showcase him as much as kids in other regions of the country were showcased.
0: You know, one thing I read about him, there was an interview that you did. Um, I think with a local newspaper there where you talked about him being a truly unique leader, one of the best leaders that you've had in 20 plus years at Blair Academy, which is really saying something because you produce some amazing basketball players. Can you speak to, are there specific examples you have of his leadership abilities?
3: Yeah, I mean, he's a kid that, that ever since his sophomore year in high school has both set the example and led by example, which is part of being a great leader but he's also a kid who's a verbal leader. He'll hold his peers accountable, which is a really rare trait. Um, and, and he's a young man that will, will just will people forward, whether it's verbally through his own actions, um, whether it's him getting people up at six in the morning and dragging them to the gym, the same kind of stuff that Lou Dang, frankly, used to do when I was a young coach and I first got here. And he sort of set this culture of work um, forward, Lou did um, in 1999, and Jalen's just one of the guys that has continued it and made sure that his teammates were held accountable and they worked as hard as he did. They competed as hard as he did. They went to class and got A's like he did. You know, he leads that way, and, and he's not afraid. He's very comfortable in his own skin, and frankly, he has been since he was. He came here when he was 14 years old. He's been comfortable in his own skin from the jump, and and I think the only way people can be capable leaders is when they're comfortable with who they are, their identity and what they're about. And, 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 you know, as coach K and I spoke about, he's about the right stuff, you know, and, and, and I know what Duke basketball is about and, and Jalen's about the right stuff. And, you know, sometimes when you get these one and done guys, They're transactional. They're about, you know, one and getting to where they need to go next. Jalen's going to be a four year guy at Duke and, you know, he may end up being a Duke captain for a few years. And so he was recruited a little differently um, because of a lot of his personal traits, as well as his, you know, significant basketball ability.
0: Uh, You've led me perfectly into my next question, which is. Uh, Duke came in at least the perception is that Duke came in kind of late on him you know it hasn't been a long recruitment that it was fairly recent talk me through maybe what you told him about Duke and talk me through what you know about the recruitment that's happened over the past few weeks with him
3: well John Shire and I have been talking about Jalen ever since he went to USA basketball I I I work as a court coach at USA basketball Jalen was out there with me played very well Had they had a team last year, he would have been right on the edge of making the, you know, the U18 national team for Mike Jones, who's a Dematha coach. Um, Jalen was going to be in that final group, whether he would have made it or not, he would have been in the final group. So, you know, I, I've spoken to Shire about Jalen as being a special kid. And what I look at as a Duke kid, um, having had a number of my guys that have gone to Duke, I've gotten an idea of what it's about through their, their eyes and ears. And uh, so, when the young man went pro a few weeks back, a month back, um, you know, that's when Shire circled back to me and said, okay, you know, let's move this forward. Let's send coach some film and, uh, let's, let's get moving on this. And then when, you know, when I spoke to coach and then, and then more importantly, when Jalen spoke to coach K, you know, coach was sold after the first conversation. Um, Shire was sold after the first conversation. You know, I got texts from both of them saying, is this kid for real? Like we just want to make sure that, you know, he's not, He's not putting up some kind of front to make himself seem better than he is. I said, no, it's who the kid is. That's why I called you in 2019, just to put him on your radar. So it, it did go down quickly in the eyes of people like you guys, but it's been a conversation for well over a year.
1: You've coached dozens of players that have gone on to play in college. Stack up Jalen against that. How do you think his career will go at the next level as of right now? What, what, what do you think is the, are the tools that are going to make him successful?
3: You know, I've had almost 70 Division One guys, and, and, and most of them really like basketball. And then there's about a dozen guys that love basketball. And, and more importantly, they love the process of trying to be great. And those are the guys that, a couple of which have played in the NBA, a couple of which have kind of outshot their rankings. Like, you have to be in love with the process of greatness daily. And, and it's really easy for me to sit here and talk about, but, but it's really difficult to do. The, the day that he signed with Duke, um, he worked out three times that day. You know, he, most kids would have been sitting checking their Instagram all day, you know, and, and he was in the gym at seven in the morning during lunch, lifting after school and back in shooting again with with a couple of the guys late in the afternoon. So to stack him up, I mean, I would say that we've had all the guys that have gone on to play in the NBA and another handful that are probably more talented than him. But um, he's the best winner we've ever had here, along with Lou Dang. The only guy who's won more games here is Lou, and and Jalen would have eclipsed him likely had we had a full season this year. Even with Jalen losing his senior year, he's still the second winningest player here, the best winning percentage. Um, and in terms of work, just not many guys I've ever had here have put in the kind of work. I spoke to Lou the other day actually about it. I was like, you know, you'd be proud of this kid, man. Like he he works like he used to work. And he said, well, then he's going to be perfect at Duke. So. You know, talent wise, um, he's a high major player and a top 100 kid. Um, I would not be able to stand here today and say he's a slam dunk NBA player or, you know, he'll play for money till he's in his 30s for sure, because he loves basketball. He's durable and he gets better every month. Um, Will he be an NBA player? I I don't bet against this kid, but he's not a a no brainer, one and done kind of kid like Duke normally gets. That's not who he is. And that's not how they recruited him
1: everyone who comes to Duke is a challenge to get on the court and earn considerable minutes. What do you think he needs to work on to compete for considerable minutes, at least next season? I know you're talking about him being a four-year guy, but how does he see the court next year in your eyes?
3: Well, we, I I think he needs to be an elite defender. I think he needs to understand their defensive schemes really quickly. I think he needs to be a guy that can play multiple positions on offense. So I, I think he needs to be like a guy that can input, whatever they need he needs to be a you know you know a sort of um uh five tool guy you know they need a great defender they need a guy to come in and make threes against his own do they need a guy to run a team if the point guard's in foul trouble you see i think the way he gets on the floor is he can do everything he's super versatile and so i think that early in his career is probably the way he gets on the floor or he just outworks everybody which, you know, you can't outwork five-star talent necessarily, but i tell you what, you can make yourself a valuable commodity in a winning program. And what I've told, you know, I told Jay Wright, I told Coach K, I've told a lot of guys, Like I really believe this is a kid that can be a starter on a Final Four team if he's with three or four pros. You know, and, and if you look around and you look at these teams that win, they got guys like him that are right in the middle of it and, and they aren't the five-star guys, but they, they have to do, they, they affect winning on a, on a possession by possession basis. And then on top of that, they lead and they get A's in school and they're an activist on campus. Like, why wouldn't you want that kid if you're Duke?
1: Speaking of Duke, we have looked at a lot of box scores over the years. We've looked at a lot of rosters and Blair Academy, New Jersey has been listed quite a bit uh, from Luol Ding to now Jalen Place and everyone in between discuss your relationship with coach K how has that blossomed over the years you've clearly had a lot of interaction with him and the coaching staff over the years when it comes to some of your players how has that been as a, as a high school coach and just on a personal level
3: well I listen I, I don't bother coach I, I I've called him three or four times in the last 22 years I, I deal with his assistants for the most part he doesn't need to hear from me until he wants to hear from me I know where I fall in the pecking order so whether it was Tommy Amaker or Chris Collins or, you know, all the way up to Shire and everybody, Johnny Dawkins, everybody in between, like I I deal with those assistants. And I only call if I think I have a guy that fits. They usually pick up the phone when I call because I don't call for every guy I have. I know I've had a lot, you know, like I said, 70 division one guys, but not many Duke guys. Um, and so when I do call, they, they will at least take the call and listen and look at film and we'll have a discussion. But, um, you know, I, I admire coach K, um, and I think he's been in our practices and seen us play. But, um, you know, I, I just think this is a relationship of transparency and honesty and, and not because Coach K and I are super close. I mean, I, I don't want to misconstrue that at all.
2: Coach, you mentioned earlier about how Jalen expects to kind of be a, a four-year guy who's not just bringing talent, but also culture to the program. And one of the things that we've been talking about a lot recently is, you know, among the Changes that are going on in NCAA basketball is players transferring a lot more and and guys saying, I've only been here for a year or two, but but I need to get my change of scenery. I need to go explore somewhere else. Obviously, it's exploded this year, given all the all the things that have been going on. And and Duke was recently hit with a number of transfers. Most recently, I don't know if, how closely you follow any of this, but Duke had a had a guy, Henry Coleman, who didn't see the floor a lot this year, but who we were very excited about. Talented kid just didn't get on the didn't get on the floor a lot, but was 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 tagged as as kind of a a culture guy first And, and he's decided to leave. So what do you think about the about those changes and and how do you help these student athletes think about their journey in college, not just right when they step on campus, but as you said, getting through that full four years to make it as valuable as they can be.
3: Well, I think it's two things, right? It's one, you, you need to pick a school for the right reasons and you need to understand why they're recruiting you and what role they're bringing you in and how they feel about you. Um, as a coach at Blair's had so many guys, I think these coaches are pretty transparent with me because we want to keep up relationships. I want to keep up relationships with college coaches at this level, but they obviously also want to do right by the Blair kids so that they can recruit more Blair kids. So the transparency for us is easier than some. And then the, the, the second piece for a kid like Jalen is, you know, he, if he didn't want to have to worry about roster construction changing, then he should have gone to the Ivy league, which he could have gone to Yale. He had an offer from Harvard. He had an offer from Princeton. The only other place you can go right now and not worry about roster construction is Stanford because they don't take, they don't take transfers right now and they're trying to get that changed so they can. So if he's going to go anywhere else, whether it's Pitt or whether it's another eight, Boston College or whether it's Duke, he knows that he's going to be dealing with transfers, one and dones. And that back in the day, we would say, OK, you know, you're a, you're a guard and they have these four guards, but two of them are seniors and we could really look at the construction of the roster. Right. And, and you can't do that anymore because I don't know who's going to be at Duke next year, let alone a couple years from now. So now it's like, do you want to bet on yourself? Do they know what they're getting? Are they excited about you? Does this fit academically? And are you committed to work? Because you need to make yourself invaluable so that they want you to be a part of the playing group. And if you're not invaluable to them in some way, then they're going to recruit over you. They're Duke, you know, or anywhere else. Pitt or Boston College or anywhere else would do the same. So it is business. It's like playing it professionally now. It's like going to Europe. You know, it's transactional. Um, and it's just, it's different. And, and and we all, Coach K, me, we all have to react to this new thing because it's not what it was a year ago. We are dealing with a different animal now. So I, I hope that long answer answered your question, but that's that's kind of what it is. And we're all sort of reacting right now and trying to understand this new thing.
2: And how much do you keep up with your players once they go to college? Because I imagine you know, they go somewhere for a year or two. Now their coach is whoever they're playing for at the time, but you get to spend more formative years with them. And, and I imagine have, have a little bit of influence on them even after they've left the program. Right.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. I talk to all my guys a lot. Um, I talk to the coaches, the assistant coaches, mostly sometimes the head coaches at the places they are. I don't bother anybody, but definitely do check-ins. Um, and then post-season, I do check-ins with all the places they are to see how they did and what their strengths and weaknesses were and what they need to be working on so I can reinforce that with them. And and I also went through the transfer process with a couple of my guys this this year as well, you know, and went through a whole host of Zooms with Jabri Abdurrahim, who's leaving Virginia and just signed to Georgia. I did all of his transfer stuff with him. so. Um, yeah, these guys are part of my family. They're part of my life, and 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 they they you know I hope to be going to weddings. I and and I've, I I help them through the whole thing from you know when they're freshmen in high school all the way until they're talking to me about marriage and engagement and how to raise their kids. So that's you know when we take a kid here, it's a it's a lifetime contract.
2: And I think a lot of the things that you just mentioned sound like the way college coaches talk about. They're student athletes from, you know, you, you get to know them maybe earlier than, than coach K does or whoever their college coach is going to be, but that it's not just the time that you're on campus. It it's, it's for a long time. If you're really invested in the relationship, can you talk us through at a high level, what the similarities and differences are between your job as a high school coach and, and what a college coach does with these kids? Cause there's obviously an element of recruiting involved in it and all the game strategy, but there's also a lot of personal development in it.
3: Yeah, listen, I mean, I was a division one assistant coach in the 90s, and I was a division two assistant. So I spent eight years as an NCAA coach, Um, pre cell phones, I was making recruiting calls from phone booths. So now I feel like some kind of dinosaur. But um, there's a ton of similarities. I mean, the one difference is I'm a guidance counselor here, too. And so you know, I actually have a whole nother job. So it's I wish I could just do prep school basketball day and basically run an academy here. I, I don't get to do that. But Yeah, I mean, the difference is one of the reasons I left college coaching and came here 20-plus years ago was I think you can have a bigger effect on a 14-, 15-, 16-year-old kid. It's harder to affect and change and and have an impact on a kid who's 19 or 20. They're more fully formed. So I really love getting these guys when they're younger. Um, And and the other thing I like is we get them here in a boarding scenario where – we can really make them a part of this Blair basketball culture. They're living away from home, and you can be really impactful to a kid that age. But yes, I do recruiting. Um, we do game preparation. We do individual development. We play a national schedule. Um, I tell kids they come here, it feels very much like college. I mean, we had nine Division I guys on our roster last year. So, you know, you have guys that are signed Division I scholarships that don't start on their high school team. Um, Jalen didn't start for two years. You know, he didn't start till his his junior year. He always played a lot, but but he didn't start the whole time because you know we've had Virginia, Stanford, Marquette, et cetera, et cetera. Just while he's been here, so there's a ton of similarities. They've been in a college-like atmosphere. They lived away from home. They've done schoolwork at a high level. They've had to navigate, you know, a bathroom at the end of the hall, all the stuff that we navigated likely for the first time when we went to college. These guys have been doing since they're 15. So I think our guys are more ready when they step foot on the ground, doesn't mean it's easy, but they're more ready.
2: And one other thing that I think is interesting to us as college fans is that we hear a lot about not just the the elite high school programs that these guys play for, but also their destinations in the summer, be they AAU or more recently USA Basketball, which I think in the last few years has become a much more prominent destination for for these students. What's the relationship between you and their summer coaches and, and, and how much are you sort of working with them year round as opposed to just when they're on campus?
3: Well, we train three seasons a year here individually. And then I, I partner with most of their AAU guys. So I've tried to be a guy that partners with these AAU coaches. Like I said, I'm in the gym at USA basketball. I'm a court coach. So I'm actually feet on the ground in, in, in Colorado. And I'm, I'm there for any of the guys, my guys that are in USA basketball. So, you know, we, we, we try to be very, Uh, transparent, we try to partner with all these people, we try to make it all part of the bigger experience of development. I mean, there's not one way to teach, there's not one way to learn, there's not one way to grow. I think if you can put these kids in as many possibilities where they can fail, where they have to battle, where they have to fight, they're just going to be better off in the end. So I don't try to cordon my guys off and have all the control. I I really think that, you know, as long as they have good AAU guys that care about their development and USA basketball has been a huge positive in my life, um, yeah, I think it's, it's all good and it all, I, it can, it can all work in concert if, if people have the kids' best interests at heart.
0: Coach Joe Montegna, I, I, I gotta tell you, this was a fascinating interview. We really appreciate your insight, the honest and revealing insight that you gave us both about Duke recruit Jalen Blakes, but also about the changing face of amateur basketball. Thanks so much. Best of luck to you moving forward. And, and we hope to have you back on someday
3: soon. Thanks a lot, guys. It was a pleasure.
0: So again, we have to thank Coach Joe. I mean, so much insight, so much great stuff in there. Sam, I'll go to you first. Yeah, what's your biggest takeaway? What, was the, what were the nuggets in there that you liked the most?
2: Look, I, I'm not going to pretend that I follow high school basketball any more than I think you guys don't follow high school basketball that closely. But Coach Joe certainly seems like one of the good guys, doesn't he? The, the way that he talks about the, it's not it's not just about how well his players are developing and making sure they get to the best basketball program possible or get to the best school possible, but it's about finding the right destination for them and somewhere that's going to fit their personalities, their goals, that, that sort of thing. And the reason that I wanted to ask him about the, the, the question that was sort of framed around Henry Coleman and, and Henry Coleman's recent transfer is, I think that's the, that's sort of the core of college basketball that we as fans really like to see. We, we love to see guys, come to school and develop and, and the one and done thing is fun and the transfers are fun and interesting. And it gives us more to talk about, but the players that we're going to remember for a long time and be excited about and be proud of are the guys that that stick around and, and have a, have a whole development plan around them. I think that's why we spent so much time talking about Nolan Smith the other day when, when he got his promotion, coach Joe is is focused on the kids who are going to be like Nolan Smith. And, and that was so fun to me, not to mention, you know, all the insight we got about Jalen Blake's that we're very excited that, that he's coming to Duke, but he's a four-star recruit who is joining a roster that, that was pretty much already filled in. So his opportunities for playing time next year are limited. And Coach Joe said that that there are ways for him to get on the court, mostly on the defensive side, but that that he's looking at a long-term play when it comes to coming to Duke. So I thought it was really great hearing from Coach Joe about his process and how he works with players and how he works with college coaches. All of it was was very fascinating to me.
0: Well, Donald, I'm gonna to get to you in one second, but Sam, you hit on one of the things, the idea of these guys who are here for for several years. When Coach Joe said, Yeah, Jalen's a four-year player who, you know, is probably a multi-year captain at Duke, I was like, Yes, sign me up. <laughs> uh, That's and, exactly and the sort sound- of thing that, that we've been waiting for, right? Yeah, exactly. That <laughs> sounds great to me. So <laughs> yeah, I I know Duke fans out there are gonna be very excited to have heard that about him. Look. Things change. Things can happen differently. I'm sure we all thought the exact same thing about Henry Coleman and and look what happened there. But um, at least in terms of expectations, it sounds like, uh, you know, Jalen understands what he needs to work on and what his role is going to be moving forward at Duke. Um, Donald, give me your takeaways from the interview, especially as it relates to what you heard about Jalen Blakes.
1: Yeah. Well, the fact that he's a competitive, you know, gym rat that loves the game, those are three those are three check marks right there that are really, really good. Always trying to get better, always looking forward to getting better. And even, you know, you know, coach Joe said that he was a guy that didn't start his first couple of years because there were people ahead of him and he worked his way into the starting lineup and became an indispensable player. So I I like that part. One nugget that I thought was interesting though, he talked to, I asked him about his relationship with coach K and the coaching staff. And he mentioned, he kind of confirmed what Paulo van Carroll told us a couple of weeks ago. Coach K is the closer. He, he, he don't really mess with Coach K. Coach K messes with you, and then you know it's real. Uh, he, he said he basically talked with, you know, John Shire in this particular recruitment, but he talks to the assistant coaches a lot. And then when Coach K calls, he answers. So I, I think that's interesting, uh, interesting tidbit. But I will say from I, I was fortunate enough to play at what would be considered a national basketball program in Detroit Country Day. Uh, if you are a Duke fan for the last 20 years, you have seen the words Blair Academy a lot. I mentioned that. We've had a lot of players come through Duke that have gone through that system and played under coach Joe Mantegna. And really when it comes down to it, the fact that he's preparing these guys for college in a different way, especially given the COVID environment, having you know, the boarding school culture type of environment, being away from your families, learning how to deal with the college aspects of things like being away from home, being away from your family, being involved with, you know, being close knit with your teammates. Those are things that he loves cultivating in 14 and 15 year olds to get them ready for the next level. And it's clearly showing with not just his record on the court, but the number of guys that are getting college educations and playing college basketball from his program. It's, it's great to see. I I know full well how that is and how that can shape a young man. And that is, sound. it sounds like he's doing just that at Blair Academy.
0: Look, the thing that has me the most excited about this kid is that Coach Joe said when after Coach K and John Shire spoke to him, they, they asked, is this kid for real? I mean, the, the comments that we heard about Jalen Blake's being a leader, being the guy who holds his teammates accountable, makes sure his teammates are, are working hard in the gym and in the court. Uh, the fact that he said he's the best winner we've ever had, uh, you know, alongside Luol Deng, you know. How can you not be incredibly excited about a kid where a coach who who knows what it takes to succeed in college, who has coached dozens upon dozens upon dozens of college ball players of guys who made the NBA, is saying best winner, best leader about this player? I mean, if you're not excited for this kid now, I don't, know, I I can't help you.
1: <laughs> Look, we're glossing over the fact that Coach Joe said that Jalen Blaze committed last week, and on the day he committed, he did three workouts. That's what I'm talking about right there. That's the competitive fire that, you know, a lot of college basketball is missing. And to have a guy that's going to come in and is going to work hard. Coach K and the staff, they always preach working hard and and growing and learning. This kid is clearly a sponge for that. And he loves the game enough that he's going to put in the work. This is exactly what you're looking for from a four-year guy. And at the level that Duke recruits, I think it's not often that you hear
2: about recruits who are saying, I'm interested in going to Duke, but that I'm also kind of considering like going the Ivy League route. Maybe for, for students who are not athletes, this is, a, this is a consideration or for students who are athletes in, in sports where Duke might be more competitive with those, those Ivy schools in, in those particular sports, like a kid who's going to come and play lacrosse or, or, or some other sports like that, but not so much in basketball. There are a couple Duke guys that I remember being this type of student, the ones that come to mind for me, and, and you guys may remember some other ones, but Brian Zubek and Ryan Kelly were both student athletes who came to Duke who said I'm co- I'm going to a good school and and that's the that's the main consideration when it comes to picking a program so I think like Brian Zubeck had had like Princeton on his final list of schools that he was considering and, and Brian Zubeck was a New Jersey guy so so there you go and by the way Brian Zubek and Ryan Kelly both national champions at Duke, both guys who were praised for their leadership in the program when when they were juniors and seniors. So I would love to have Jalen Blakes follow in their footsteps, not on the court, because I don't think his, his game is going to translate the way that either of those very tall guys translated. But as as far as a leader goes, it would be awesome to have more players like that.
0: Yeah. You know, Sam, your question to him about roster construction, which which is what led to that conversation, you know, about transfers and the such. Uh, I thought was absolutely fascinating, and, and and his final coach Joe's sort of final word there of you've got to commit and bet on yourself, and he said that Jalen Blake's is the kind of guy to do that. Uh, really, really sage advice. Really, you know, absolutely hits home in this current atmosphere, in my opinion. And one final note on Blake's, he you know, Coach Joe
1: talked about his game a little bit, and he kind of said, yeah, he has range at all levels, but I think he did an injustice for Jalen Blake's because watching him play his range from beyond the arc is chef Curry type of range. Like he can hit, he can shoot the ball from 28, 29 feet with ease, I'm down with which that. Is, I'm, I'm yeah. very down with that. Leadership which is, is cool. great. But, but, but 28 footers also cool. <laughs> 28 footers. <laughs> hey, look, I look, I went to school with JJ with JJ pulled up inside the three, the half court line and you knew it was going in. It was a wonderful feeling. And I'd love to have that feeling. And I know we're not going to get that a lot next year, But maybe if we get in Spurs, because a good dunk will energize the crowd. A very, very long three will do the exact same thing.
0: Guys, we're going to take a break now. When we come back, investment advice from Donald Wine in Las Vegas. You don't want to miss it. Okay, we're back. And as promised, we have tips for making multiples on your money from Donald Wine. Donald was just in Las Vegas, and he checked out the odds for next year's national basketball champion. Donald, what do you have to report for us?
1: Yeah, uh, as you mentioned, I was this past weekend in Vegas with my dad and my brother. And while I was taking Sin City for as much money as I could, and I, I, I did take a lot from Vegas, uh, I was also investigating the future odds for the 2022 National Basketball Championship. Of course, now that we're in offseason, that's one of the favorite topics for all fans and pundits is looking forward to next year and and who has the edge, who's the team to beat in the early offseason. So I wanted to let people know what Vegas is thinking as the favorites for the title. Now, there are a lot of sports books in Vegas, but I'm taking the odds that I'm about to read you from the Westgate Las Vegas. It's the largest sports book on earth. When you see odds on sports sites, they're usually taking them from the West So these odds are also current as of April 6th, which is important. It's the day after the national championship. These odds can obviously change, but as of right now, they have the odds from April 6th. So the odds on favorite, probably no surprise to many of you is Gonzaga five to one odds. Michigan is second best at 12 to one right there. A third tied with a few other teams is Duke 16 to one. So if you're doing the math, put down 20 bucks, Multiply that times 16. If you bet today and we win the national championship, that's how much money you will get. We are tied with Baylor, UCLA, and Ohio State. Again, two of those teams made the final four. Ohio State was pretty good all year, much to my chagrin. Really quickly, I want to take a look around the ACC because the ACC odds are a little off. Not necessarily off, but I'll explain in a minute. Florida State, 20-1. to UVA, 25-1. to Usually a team that is very perennially towards the top is sort of right in the middle of the pack uh, of the, of the first tier of, of teams, Virginia tech and uh, Virginia techs at 40 to one, UNC and Louisville at 50 to one Syracuse, 80 to one NC state, 100 to one. And then after that, you have the, the bottom feeders, Georgia tech, Clemson, Notre Dame, Miami Pitt, and wake. They're, you know, teams that are not expected to get a lot of money. They're at 200 and 300 to one BC is awful. They are listed at 2,000 to 1. So if you're really wanting to put money on BC, what Vegas is telling you is don't do that because two thousand one to 1 basically means- Alternatively,
2: that is some great value for what is
1: still a Power 5 team, you know? Yes, absolutely. So uh, if you wanted to take a flyer on BC, if you're a BC fan out there or doubled went to Duke in BC for something, and you want to put $2 down, you could make 4,000 if they end up winning the national championship. I wouldn't recommend it though because it's not going to happen. A couple of teams of note, Kentucky, Michigan State, Villanova, Kansas, those teams are also kind of at the the top tier of teams. Of course, the Blue Bloods on the whole didn't do well in 2020, 2021. They are expected to do much better next year. Vegas has them looking pretty good. I did want to note one thing, though. This is not in college basketball. This is in college football obviously right next to the the sports book for the futures for basketball was football. So I took a look and kind of said, let's see what's going on. Of course, Alabama is listed at nine to five. Georgia is at six to one. Clemson, the ACC representative in Ohio state are at nine to two Duke. You want to know what Duke is? 10,000 to one. So don't bet on Duke either in football, at least Duke of basketball, maybe, maybe, A a wise investment. You could spread it around with Duke in basketball
2: with a few other teams and maybe find some value.
1: Exactly. Play the field a little bit. But in college football, what Vegas is telling you, like I said, I told you at BC 2001 in basketball, Vegas is telling you don't pick it. For Duke in college football, Vegas is saying, what are you doing with your money? Just give it to me. (laughs) So those are the odds for college basketball. Vegas is pretty high right now on Duke's chances to win the 2022 National Basketball Championship. But of course, it's still very early. These odds can change, and they will change. Uh, so it's always fascinating, though, even if you're not a gambler, to kind of see the odds and see how they evolve down the road.
0: I'll, I'll tell you, I was I was surprised at Florida State uh, at twenty to one. I th- I think that's you know that's that great for that program, and Florida State has certainly shown the past couple of years that they are a elite ACC program. But I was a little surprised to fly in Florida State as sort of the second the second pick in the ACC Duke at 16 to one is first Florida state at 20 to one is the second ACC team having Florida state ahead of Virginia, ahead of UNC surprised me a little bit, not necessarily because I think Florida state isn't better than those programs, but I, but a lot of what's going on in Vegas is they're trying to entice the money. They're trying to follow the money. And I don't feel like, I feel like the North Carolina fans, the Virginia fans, the Duke fans, they all, they all understand gambling on their team. I think for Florida State, it's probably a little bit of a new thing, especially in basketball. So so I, I think that's impressive on, on Florida
2: State's part. Squares are not showing up to put money on Florida State to win the championship. So you could even read these odds as saying, Vegas thinks that Florida State is actually the favorite in the ACC and and the favorite among ACC teams to win the championship, given how close the
1: odds are between Duke and Florida State. And and really, when you think about it, you know, you talked about a lot of people bet on Duke, a lot of people bet on UNC all the time. I'm pretty sure, and I have to double check this, but if you go back to March, early March, when we had just lost three in a row and then we won two in a row in the ACC tournament right before we were about to cut out, it was like, Still a hundred to one odds for us to win, which is everyone may think, "Wow, that's really big." But for Duke, it's very small because teams that were on that bubble were coming in at like five, six hundred to one. So it's clear that even with even, when Duke has a chance, even a chance to make the NCAA tournament, their odds aren't going to be very great because Vegas doesn't. Those a lot of people are going to be betting on Duke and UNC to win, and, and, and along with a lot of the other Blue Bloods.
0: So we're going to move on from that conversation. There's just one other quick thing I want to address. This week, uh, Jonathan Gavoni of, um, of Draft Express and ESPN came out with his first 2022 mock draft. Actually, I'm not sure. It may not have been his first. It may have been a revision. I'm not even sure.
2: But But we're not even through the 2021. We're not even through 2021 yet. (laughs) That's just (laughs) ramping up to to high heat right now.
0: Right. Exactly. Um, Right. We're not even done with 2020. We don't even know who's going to be in the 2021 draft, but he's already out here talking about the 2022 draft and his NBA mock draft has a singular name at the very, very top of it. I think a lot of folks would have expected it to be Chet Holmgren, the number one recruit in the land, the seven-footer who shoots three-pointers, who is headed to Gonzaga. It is not. Chet Holmgren is not his number one NBA prospect. The number one NBA prospect, according to Jonathan Gaboni, is Paolo Bancaro of Duke University. Um, He says Paolo is 6'11", 255 pounds, uh, along with making him the number one, you know, the, the dub, the number one pick in the mock draft, um, Jonathan Gavoni uh, tweeted out a video uh, showing absolutely ridiculous handle and shooting from a guy who is 6'11". We're talking about step back threes, step to the side on the move threes, bringing the ball up court, up court for his team like a point forward. I mean, I don't know how you defend a guy like that. Uh, you can't put a traditional big on him because he's going to go around him like he isn't even there. And, uh, and if that big sloughs off from him, he's going to, he's going to bury them with three pointers. And if you, if you put a wing size player on him who can stay up on him and, and stop him from shooting threes, he's going to go into the post and bully that poor dude. Who's probably given up three inches and 30 plus pounds. Oh, and it, by the way, if you try to help onto Paolo, Mark Williams is going to destroy you. He's going to toss the ball in the air. Cause he's a good passer. Mark Williams is going to get dunk after dunk after dunk. I'm getting very, very excited for next year's Blue, Duke Blue Devils and the front line that we're going to see. It is a rare thing to have the presumed number one pick in the draft. And that's what Duke has now in Palo Banquero.
1: I, I will state again in case people missed it. Right now, if you look at ESPN, they're 100. Paolo Bancaro is listed at 6'9", 235. This says that he is 6'11", 255. So already he has gained two inches and 20 pounds and is also has a competitive streak can shoot from anywhere and can also dribble and drive and dunk. Look, man, just, just bring the season on right now. Let's go. I do want to know
2: if the height measurements, I want to know when they were taken and what the status of Paulo's hair was at the time of the measurements, because we know that he (laughs) recently, he recently cut his hair. So, so that's a, a factor here, but what I'm most excited about is we were, I think, worried going into this offseason about Duke's situation at point guard where Jeremy Roach was was good not great this year at point guard and I don't think you know maybe he's going to make that that big leap this year and turn into a really star point guard but the Duke didn't have 40 minutes of reliable ball handling especially after losing Jordan Goldwire this recent draft report on Paulo Banquero tells me that look he's not going to be a primary ball handler, but for a few possessions a game, if he's the one bringing the ball up the court, or if he's running the fast break, that is going to be awesome. And you do not often see teams where the four and five are running the, the high pick and roll the way that I presume Paulo and Mark Williams are going to do next year. That is going to be a real treat for Duke fans and not something that we're used to seeing, even in the year when it was Zion and RJ, they were not running the, that, that top of the key pick and roll the way I think Paulo and Mark Williams are going to be able to next year.
1: You don't even see that in the NBA. I mean, it's not it's very rare that you see two guys that are going to be six ten, six eleven running pick and rolls. And if they're able to do that, that means they're drawing out two big defenders. And even if one of them goes with Mark Williams as the as he rolls off, you still have two guys that are going to be like, What are we going to do? Because you have two guys, two shooters on the court that are probably post up at either wing and you'll be able to pass either one of them.
0: So two other things I want to add on this one is uh, it is worth noting that Jonathan Gavoni had other Dukies in his 2022 first round in his mock draft. He has AJ Griffin as the number six pick in the draft, the top half, of the lottery. He also has Mark Williams in the mid twenties, a late first rounder. So he thinks that Duke has two top 10 picks two two high lottery picks and another first rounder on their roster, that kind of talent is what puts you in the national title hunt every single year. You, you look at what Gonzaga has. If you look at what Baylor had this year, it's that kind of, you know, multiple first round, multiple lottery pick kind of talent. And Jonathan Gavoni sees that from the blue devils for next year. And then the other thing I want to mention really quickly, I, I just mentioned the word Gonzaga a minute ago. I mentioned Chet Holmgren. Everyone says Chet Holmgren is this impossible matchup because he's so big. He's seven feet. And yet he has this handle. He has this shot. That he can take you from the outside, from the wing. and How on earth, no team, the, the, the pundits are saying, there's no one who can match up with this guy. Oh, maybe there is. It turns out that it certainly looks like Paolo Bencaro is the kind of guy, not entirely dissimilar from the kind of player that Chet Holmgren is. And folks, in Vegas, the day after Thanksgiving, we get Paolo versus Chet. And both these guys, you know, it is, I'm so excited for this matchup because they clearly play somewhat similarly. Palo's bigger and stronger, and I think that's where his advantage is going to be. I think Chet's probably a little more skilled, probably a little better outside shooter. But, I mean, I am so looking forward to that matchup among just two truly interesting, unique, unicorn kind of big men.
2: And, and that matchup, I think we we found out about that matchup a few months ago that Duke and Gonzaga were planning to play over Thanksgiving, and the thought was Gonzaga is coming off with what's a great season. Duke is always competitive, so this is going to be fun. This game is going to be better, I think, than than we're giving it credit for initially here. Duke fans, if you've been around long enough, you remember that great Duke versus Texas game when JJ Reddick was a senior in, in in the Meadowlands. You remember Duke playing Michigan State a couple times, one when when we had Kyrie one a few years ago in the champions classic that have been like truly great one versus two or, or one versus three or four type games that, that Duke has been in over the years. I think this Duke and Zaga game coming this fall is going to match up with any recent Duke non-conference game that, that we can remember. So, I, look, we're not we're not previewing that game quite yet. It's not happening for another six months or seven months, but but we're excited about it. And and I'm sure we're going to keep talking about it all summer
1: before it finally comes in November. I will say that they list Chet Holmgren at seven feet, 195. He's probably closer to seven one at this point, but he also is probably closer to 165. That 190 is probably <laughs> with a like a weighted vest on him, uh and weighted and, and weights on his legs and arms. So uh, the, the man is skinny, but he can play ball. I will say that he can play ball, but Paolo Bancaro will have close to maybe 70 pounds on him if they were able to match up in the post. Kevin Durant
2: couldn't bench his own weight at the NBA combine. This is true. <laughs> and it worked out for him. So I, I just, this is true. I haven't, I haven't watched so much Chet Holmgren yet. I've, I've seen a couple highlights, but I just assume that it's a Kevin Durant thing here where like. Yeah. He's, he's technically listed as a big because he's seven feet tall, but that's a shooting guard out there who just happens to be able to shoot over you no matter who you are. Cause you're, cause he's seven feet tall.
0: As you can tell, we're really excited about it, but that is going to wrap it up for us. We're not going to talk about it anymore right now because we got to call things off for this episode, episode 310 of the Duke basketball report podcast. Our thanks once again to coach Joe, of Blair Academy for coming on and chatting with us about Jalen Blakes giving us a great rundown of Duke's next point guard and uh, and and Donald and Sam thanks for joining me I am Jason that was episode 310 and this is the Duke Band play us out take us home goodbye Uh, hey, do you prefer uh, what? What should we call you?
3: You can call me. You can call me Joe. I've been called a lot of things over the <laughs> years, but uh, no, whatever. no
0: coach in there. What yeah. do the What do the players call you? They call you coach, right?
3: They do. They do. But whatever, I, I respond to a lot of things. My wife calls me worse than that, guys. About, I was looking through the uh all the pods you guys have done. you guys are the real deal, so you're the top duke podcast thing huh you guys are the uh
2: did you get that recorded jason <laughs> yeah, that's on that's yes. on the mic.
3: I see it I see the that mic.
0: was the air
2: that's good okay good good i'm glad you i'm glad you glad you think so. <laughs>